Well, good morning, church. How's everyone doing this morning? Good. So good to see you here this morning to gather as a church community, as a family, to worship our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I had one of those moments of just like, what an incredible privilege it is for us right here to gather, whether in person or online, but in this time and in this space, and to be unified in the spirit in worship. Man, that's powerful stuff. So good to be together this morning. Well, we are continuing this morning in our Linton series. Any questions? We're talking about some of those big questions of faith, maybe that you have ever had or you've ever wondered about or God or scripture or how all of this sort of works, um, wrestling with them together. Uh, and I've sort of had this qualifier from the beginning. I'm not promising you answers. <laughs> Even they sent me off to seminary, we spent all of this money, and I still don't have many answers. But I do promise to be a companion with you, kind of a spiritual guide as we sort of wonder and question and doubt. I've had this image of like Jacob wrestling through the night, you know, like not letting go of the angel of the Lord until he receives a blessing. It's like sometimes we have these big questions about life and faith that we just can't seem to get our arms around like there is this promise in scripture that God will be with us and that together as a community we can kind of wrestle with that together and maybe somewhere in there there's a blessing I've shared this every week kind of how I'm framing it of this understanding that we are closer to God when we are asking questions than when we think we have the answers we're closer to God when we're when we're wrestling maybe even with God at times wrestling with some of these big questions, and we think, oh, we're good, we got it, we got it all figured out. So right now, in this season of Lent, 1 Corinthians 13, it says we're kind of see through this mirror dimly, but then we will see and know in full. Right now, we sort of wonder, and we ask, and we look forward to that day of resurrection, when Jesus will return and fully establish his kingdom, heaven comes on earth, and then we see and fully understand. So for the first several weeks, we've been sort of just discussing the sovereignty of God. Um, you all had some really great, great questions, and I'm like, this is one big question with like five parts <laughs> on the sovereignty of God and how God reigns and Jesus Christ is Lord over all of creation. Uh, and so the first week we said, hey, why do bad things happen to good people? If God is all, uh, all good and all powerful and all knowing, like why is there evil and suffering? If God created everything, why does evil exist? And the second week is if God is all powerful uh, and all knowing, does God determine who will be saved? If God can foreknow and see and, and know who will ultimately be saved, like does God kind of have a, a, a role in that? What does it mean to be predestined or elected? And I sort of showed my bias last week. Like, we are United Methodists, which means we are Wesleyan, which means we kind of have an opinion about this one. <laughs> that in this sort of uh, big question of how the will of God uh, and the salvation of the earth and then human free will, that they sort of collaborate, that they work together, that for some mysterious, wonderful reason, God chose to, to save God's creation this way, through faith in, in Jesus Christ, but in collaborating with people who will go on to follow the way 
of Jesus Christ and in the power of, of the Spirit. There's this sort of role we understand that the human free will plays in how we respond to the love of God. If we can't respond, is it really love? <laughs> if we don't have the freedom to respond. It's sort of this like divine dance, I remember a seminary professor <laughs> describing it as that we're sort of swept up in to this mystery of God and how we work together in this divine grand plan of salvation. So this third week is still related, and this will be the last. It's a three-parter, really. And then I'll have two other questions that come. Don't worry. This is still sort of related. What does all of this mean for prayer? What does all this mean for prayer? Like, if God knows what's going to happen... If God's sovereign, like, what's the point of prayer? God already knows everything that will happen. Can prayer really change anything? Does God change God's mind? We know that prayer is powerful. We know that we have this sort of line to God, this, this connection to the Father through Jesus and in the power of his Spirit. We have this image that I've brought up the past several weeks of, of how the Spirit sort of intercedes for us in prayer with groans even too deep for words or sighs too deep for words. It's this sort of that divine dance, the mystery of the triune God where we can kind of be swept up in of like through faith in Jesus Christ and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. This is the Spirit that intercedes for us and connects us to the Father. The divine life in that in that trinity i mean we we didn't that's a whole other that's a whole other couple weeks talking about the mystery of the trinity we can see it here and how we're invited into that divine life amazing this sort of trinity that's always present with one another co-equal co-eternal community the sense of like perfect community in the father son and holy spirit that we're somehow swept up into, grafted into. Did you know that our, our logo is an ancient Celtic symbol for the Trinity? You knew this. Can you say that word? Triketra. You guys are so good. Triketra. I had to learn that actually when I got here. <laughs> I'm not ashamed. Look, seminarian back there didn't know that either. We didn't know. So I, I, I saw somebody out in the wild <laughs> with a tattoo <laughs> Out in the wild, in the world. <laughs> I know. I was okay. Okay. Yes, of that. I know you have tattoos of that, but like people out there. <laughs> I didn't say those people, but it was like a moment of recognition. We're like, hey, we know what that means. I, did you have a feeling that I got really excited about that? And he was kind of like, okay, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's a triketra. Can you spell it? You can. I believe that is right, yes. I am not confident enough to do that on the spot. But this is, this, this became, over time, a symbol for the Trinity. There's another, it's like the perfect knot. There's another one that has sort of like a circle around this, the Trinity knot. And it was later adopted by Christian iconography, which is in the Eastern tradition, as representative of the Trinity. You mean if you, if you follow the line, right, it never ends. They're all together, co-equal, 
co-eternal, the revolution, right? Those are my nerdy words from seminary, okay? It just, it never ends. Hate it. We know this is true, right? We know that this, that there's power in prayer because of this connection we have in the divine life of God. But there is still so much mystery around it. There is so much mystery around how and when and where God moves and why, like the mechanics of prayer. And we can look to scripture and we can sort of know how to pray. We can, we can walk in these teachings of those that have gone before us. And we can see in the Gospel of Matthew, even if it's teachings from Jesus himself, when he says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. That sounds like, like um, what's it called? Um, a riddle. Thank you. No one said that. It sounds like a, it's confusing, but it's asking you will find. Uh, teachings on prayer in Matthew chapter 6. And when you pray, pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. But truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. Who is in secret. There's mystery this sort of divine nature of God, this connection, this relationship. Jesus Christ is our great high priest that now we have sort of this free and open line. It doesn't mean it's always obvious how God responds. James chapter 5. If anyone among you is suffering, let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. That last line in verse 16, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Power of prayer and community, confessing our sins before God and one another, laying on hands, praying. We know that there is power when the people of God come together. But then there are other questions that follow. The prayer of a community more powerful than one praying is what does it mean to be a righteous person here? Does that mean if I haven't confessed that God doesn't hear my prayers? Is that just how my mind works? It might be. You know, there's this really interesting story in Genesis chapter 18 where Abraham has a conversation with God. Do y'all remember this one? It's after the three visitors come and sort of say, hey, it's actually going to happen. Like, Sarah is going to be pregnant soon. And after these three visitors leave, uh, he, it's, the scripture says that he sort of like remains in the presence of God and he starts asking questions, interceding for Sodom. Kind of begins a question of God. And so you could kind of infer like, okay, he's, he's having a conversation with God Therefore, this is like a prayer conversation. And it's in Genesis 18 where he says, Abraham, excuse me, drew near and said, will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you still sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous? 
and it goes on, the conversation goes on, like, what about 45? What about 40? What about 30? And each time God sort of responds, if I find 50 righteous, I will spare the whole place for their sake. He keeps saying, for their sake, I will spare it for 30 righteous. I I will spare the city for 20. I will spare the city for 10. You can read it. It goes all the way to verse 33. And it's a sort of amazing example of how Abraham sort of demonstrates for us the prayer of a faithful person posing a question to God, standing firmly in the character of God. It's like Abraham understands that God is one who will act justly and righteously. And that sort of emboldens Abraham to to pray and to ask the way he does. Like, I know that you are a just God. Surely you would not sweep away a whole city if there are righteous among them. It's like Abraham understands God to operate within this sort of certain framework that God would surely not destroy righteous or refuse to forgive. And he says in verse 25 here, Shall not the judge of all the earth act justly? It's not a threat. It's not a demand. It's it's standing sort of emboldened in the truth that he knows the character of God, who is just and merciful. And it seems that Abraham's conversation with God has an effect on him. The repetition, the repetition of this for the sake of, for the for the sake of the 30, for the sake of the 20, sort of affirms that God is a God who acts for the sake of and on behalf of others. This is one of those passages that leads to those questions where we can wrestle with this. In our humanness, we want to see like the mechanics of this, the mechanics of this conversation, and how can, we, how can we replicate this? And in some of the commentaries I read, one of them simply said this, there is a wonderful tension between certainty and mystery with God. <laughs> and I thought, thanks. <laughs> it's so helpful. <laughs> and it gave me a chuckle, so I thought I would put it in there. If like that was their conclusion of their whole article on Genesis 18. Like wonderful is a word for it. That's one word you could use to describe this tension between certainty and mystery with God. Of how God will work, how God will save, how we can intercede, how we can converse with God. We know that there is power in prayer. We know that God hears us and listens and can intervene and heal and lead and guide. And that's why we pray. That's why we pray for healing. That's why we pray for wisdom and for directions. That's why we long for answers. And yet sometimes the healing and the direction and the answers, they don't come how we wanted or expected. Sometimes God heals. Sometimes God feels silent. Sometimes healing does come, but it's in a way that we didn't expect. It's a, not necessarily physical, but it might be an emotional healing or a, a relational healing. I'll never forget the words of our friend 
I've shared this story with you before. Our, our friend Laura, who at the funeral of her husband who died of colon cancer at the age of 31, she says our prayers for healing have been answered. And I thought, oh, I don't like that. But her faith to say there is such a healing as heaven. She's saying this healing didn't come how we wanted. I wanted my husband here. He is whole now. He is healed now. My prayers were answered. Ah. These questions bubble up because even as we believe in the power of prayer, we have all been in that place where we have wondered, can anyone hear me? Is this working? Is this thing on? What's the point? Maybe you've even resigned yourself at some point to say, what? what's the point of this whole prayer thing? There is not much I can say this morning about the mechanics of prayer and how I, we can sort of guarantee an answer that's satisfactory. There's not much I can say about what prayer is in terms of how it works, but there is a few things we can say about what prayer is not. And I would say the first is that prayer is not a formula. It's not just a list of petitions and needs that if we add in the right amounts of of piety and holy prayers that we will be guaranteed a response. This puts God in sort of this God like a vending machine, doling out prayers and, and blessings to the righteous and the pious because of something we put in. If we had sort of like God as the loving parent, God as the ruling monarch, God as the puppet master. I've used lots of different like images that we might have of God. This one is like in my mind, we, we think of God as this like vending machine. That if we put in the right equation X, Y, Z, it'll spit out a blessing. Philippians 4 says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You can sort of hear the temptation even in this passage, saying, okay, if I, if I just rejoice, if I just write down all those supplications and give them all to God and, and don't be anxious and, and list it all out, then ta-da, I'll feel peace. And I know that we know that this isn't true, but there's some... We're so tempted in our human spirit that's in need, that's crying out, that sometimes we can sort of slip into that. Richard Rohr, in his book, Learning to See as the Mystics See, says this, The word prayer has often been trivialized by making it into a way of getting what you want. I use prayer as the umbrella word for any interior journeys or practices that allow you to experience faith and hope and love within yourself. It is not a technique for getting things. 
a pious exercise that somehow makes God happy or a requirement for entry into heaven. It is much more like practicing heaven now. Practicing heaven now. I love this shift. If you can sort of make it with me in our mind of this shift of of practicing heaven now. And what is heaven? It's sort of complete union and communion with the triune God. It's complete presence with God. And so prayer is a way of being, a way of dwelling in that presence now. Being swept up into that great mystery of life with God that is perfect union and perfect communion and perfect peace. I love this idea that sort of God is creating unity. That's like the work of God in salvation. God is reconciling all things back to God. And so anywhere that there's discord, anywhere that there's conflict, anywhere that there's violence and war and tension, God is at work. The people of God should be at work forgiving and reconciling and healing. Because that's the basic rule of the kingdom of heaven, the perfect union and communion and peace. The ways of Jesus, then, are forgiveness and reconciliation. Richard Rohr says this, those who are capable of union and communion are capable of God. Those who are capable of that kind of unity are capable of God. Prayer, then, is being present with God, of being one with God in that presence And I I believe it's in that space that we might become the people that God has called us to be. It was the image from John chapter 15 that came to mind this week for me. John chapter 15 that talks about, I am the vine. Abide in me and I will abide in you. I think it's this perfect image for what praying without ceasing maybe looks like abiding in the presence of God in all that we do. John 15, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. This is one of those amazing seven I am statements of Jesus in the Gospel of John, revealing sort of the character and nature of God now revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. And he says, I am, I am the vine, connecting us to the Father, the vine dresser. In that presence, you can imagine anything that's not bearing fruit is pruned away so that it can bear more fruit. In the presence of God, as we confess our sins, as the Spirit intercedes for us, as the Spirit's at work in our heart, you can sort of see how 
I can bear fruit. And anytime we see fruit, we should think we should sing that song about the fruit of the Spirit, okay? You know it. The fruit of the Spirit's not a coconut. Fruit of the Spirit's not, you don't know the song? Beautiful. Thank you. So anytime you think about CBS, friends, there we go, a Methodist PK, all right, there she is, she knows. <laughs> that was the test that she was prepared for, she did not know what's coming <laughs> this morning. This idea of the fruit, of the spirit being at work in our hearts and lives, pruning away anything, fall away, anything that's not of God, that it would, that it would fall away, and that that work of the sanctifying grace, becoming more like Christ, is actually the work of the spirit on our hearts, developing in us love joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. Do you hear the tune? Self-control. Abiding in God then becomes an image for our prayer life of where God can do God's work. It's a total different way of thinking about it, maybe, for some of us, but this is what makes us sort of like partakers in the divine nature and the presence of God. One more Richard Rohr, because he's just too good. You can't say it better than Richard Rohr. Mystical language in this sense, he's talking about prayer, follows the audacious language of Jesus and the New Testament writers to assert that this unknowable, unsayable God is present in our lives, is poured into our hearts, that we abide in this God, and this God abides in us. In the God, in this God, we live and move and have our being, and indeed, we are partakers of the divine nature as we abide with God. Jesus connects us to the vine of the Father as the vine dresser, as the love of God is poured out in our hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit, transforming us, making us more like Jesus. And so I wonder, friends, if, if it's helpful to think of prayer then as not as much about changing our circumstances, although God can. Hear me say that God can. And God does. But how and when is the mystery. God can lead and God can guide and God can heal and God can redeem and God can do all these things that we can bear witness to. And God can also abide in us. Abide in us in such a way that we become more like Jesus. And maybe we become the answer to people's prayers in the world. Not because we are God, but because we are being made like him and called in the power of the Spirit to love and serve others and to feed the hungry and to comfort the sick, to visit the sick or to comfort those who are grieving. To become agents of the Spirit in the world, that everything we do is an outgrowth of abiding first in the presence of God. That all that we do is a part of that divine life. Maybe prayer is more about changing our own hearts and lives to see all that we do as participating in that divine life, maybe more so than it is simply this sort of like one-dimensional changing our circumstances. Like, God, I see this problem. Will you just make it go away? I'm saying more of like a zooming out a little bit to see our whole life as a prayer. All that we do. Because it's in God that we live and move and have our being. 
And it's in the presence of God through the power of the Holy Spirit that we can be given the things that we need. Things like grace and and courage and, and transformation. My sister was in town this weekend, kind of unexpectedly. I didn't know she was going to be here. So we had one of those just like lovely, unexpected conversations at the kitchen table last night. No kids. Mine were asleep. Hers were at home. <laughs> and we sat at the kitchen table and talked for about an hour. And It was just one of those like lovely, holy moments that hasn't happened in years. Because <laughs> there's usually just a whole gaggle of kids <laughs> and noise and we're chasing someone. And she shared with me that she recently heard news that a good friend of hers, someone she'd gone to high school with, uh, passed away recently, 38 years old. She hadn't spoken to him in years, but it was hitting her weird. She was unsettled. She was upset that her friend Sam was no longer here. And I read his obituary last night, and at the end of it, it said that he had articulated his life as never feeling like he belonged anywhere. that's the part that broke our hearts, right? Of what it must have been like for 38 years to live in such a way that you never felt like you belonged anywhere. Friends, there is power in the gospel of Jesus Christ that means we belong somewhere. That we belong to Christ. And therefore there's hope and there's freedom and there's love and there's joy. We belong to one another. We belong to the people of God. We belong to this church, that there is something beyond maybe the, uh, the difficulties we experience in our, in our friend groups or in our individual family groups, that yes, that there's a challenge and we're, and we're loved there, but also we're a part of this great cloud of witnesses. And friends, if there is any urgency in the message of Jesus Christ for the world, it's a sense of urgency that there are people out there who feel like they don't belong, who feel like they're not enough, who feel like they're ready to give up, who feel like there's nothing for them, that there's no hope. And I think, what an amazing message that we bear of the light of Jesus Christ that says, you do matter. You are a child of the King. You've been made in the image of God. You are loved as you are. You are welcome in our family. You belong. Friends, we need the courage and the power of the Holy Spirit to say that. So then our prayer life and this divine life with God, abiding with God, becomes equipping the saints for the work of ministry. That all that we do may be an outpouring of that presence with God. And then suddenly you, as counselors and as nurses and as teachers, you become answers to people's prayers in the world. And every space that you enter into, whatever it is, the work that you do in the world, you carry with you the light of Christ. And by how you encounter them with the love and joy and peace and presence of Christ, you can become answers to people's prayers who feel alone, who feel unworthy, who feel unlovable. Did you know that you all probably see 10 times more people than I do in a week? (laughs) 
So if you're waiting for me only to share this good news or to invite people to our church or to say, hey, you are loved. I love you. I care about you. Ooh, it's going to be slow growing. It's going to be slow going. Because look around at the multiplication that can happen when each of you and every space you enter and every person you see and every beloved child of God that you look into the eyes to this week who are each fighting some silent battle, we have no idea. Imagine the impact that you can have simply by being a person of love and of peace, carrying with you the light of Christ. Saying you are welcome here. If we're going to live that way, by seeing every single thing that we do as part of the divine life, you hear me? Ooh, we got to be abiding in God first. We got to be equipped there. We got to be trained up there. We got to have the power of the Holy Spirit poured out on us so that we can have the eyes to see, the kingdom eyes to see every opportunity of a person before us. Maybe prayer is more about changing our own hearts to become answers to other people's prayers than it is about sitting and waiting for God to just fix it. I had a conversation a couple of weeks ago with, a, she calls herself sort of a Christian mystic. She's a theologian, pastor, Dr. Amy Oden. She teaches at a seminary. And at the end of the conversation, it was asked, what is saving your life right now? What is saving your life right now? Uh, and she simply just said, spaciousness. That was weird. Say more. <laughs> Learning my interviewing skills. Say more. <laughs> And she said right now there's more space in her life than she's ever had, meaning in her schedule, meaning at her home where she lives. She lives in the Midwest, like a big open sky, she says, lots of land around her. She's surrounded by the creation of God, but also in her schedule and time. She has more space in her life to be present to the work of God. That spaciousness is saving her life right now because she said, I don't know anybody who's not about the work of Christ in the world and the work of justice in the world that is not sustained by deep spiritual practices first. Those deep spiritual practices of abiding with God, of making space in our lives to just be silent and present and maybe listen, maybe say things, maybe not, more often than not, and to just abide in that love and grace. That was a word for me that week. And since, I've been trying to create more space, but it's hard. That's what we need the community for and accountability. But I do think this is also the example of prayer that Jesus himself teaches us. Jesus, who often went away to pray, who left the need and the urgency and the, and the panic, and sometimes the emergency, and, and he went alone in solitude to fuel up, to be present with God, to be sustained for his work in the world. Friends, we have to model our own lives the same way. You're invited into this divine life through the power of Jesus and the Holy Spirit, 
And we have a mission. But if that is to be sustained, we need to abide with God and see that power and that prayer that is working as the Spirit is poured out in our hearts and lives. Amen? Does that make sense? Did I lose you? No. This thing's going in and out on me. Is this thing on? <laughs> There's work to be done. There's the Spirit available to equip the saints for the work of the church. To see every single person you encounter. Someone in need of such love and grace and belonging. May it be so. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for who you are. And that you are sort of available to us in this amazing way that is mysterious and yes, wonderful and yes, hard. And sometimes the tension is too much and we acknowledge that this morning. Sometimes the, the uh, misunderstanding or, or confusion of how this works and why leaves us just not praying at all. If we're to be honest. So God, we pray that you would meet us here in this place this morning that you would hear our hearts and our desire to follow your will, to be transformed by your love and grace, and to follow the way of Jesus in the world that we know can change lives. Would you give us the spirit that we need and the courage and the power to do so? Would you meet us in this place as we seek to simply abide in your presence this morning? getting all of the fuel and the sustenance and the encouragement that we need. Not because this is the end of the week, but because it's the beginning. That we may leave this place carrying your light to a very weary world. We love you, Lord, and we pray these things in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.